Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time. We pray for your help in understanding your word and encouragement from it, and encouragement towards you. Lord, let us, um, Lord, I just, I, I pray for your help, in not only in my communicating, but in our hearing and our understanding, and that regardless of, of the words that I use or say, Lord, that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, that you'd speak to our hearts and draw us closer to you and give us a clearer picture of what it means to be known by you and loved by you and to follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't know what this holiday season has been like for you. One of the things that um, I know for some of you, uh, the holidays are kind of a, a good time for a reset because the schedule just becomes so different. Right? So for those of you whose uh, work schedule changes over the holidays, and if you have kids who are in school, um, then it really changes. And then you get into situations where you find yourself on any given day just wondering, like, what day is today? Have you, anybody had that over the last week where you're just like, I have genuinely no idea. Like, someone's going to have to tell me. Like, uh, you know, for me, I so much of my week is patterned over my rhythms in the office and um, with midweek activities and kids in school and, you know, the football schedule and things like that. And so all of a sudden, like, college teams are playing on Thursday. My kids aren't going to school in the morning and, and everything gets thrown into a tizzy. And so we're all lucky that I even showed up this morning. Um, I don't know. I guess luck is, I guess that's in the eye of the beholder. But um, I'm here. And, and I want to just kind of touch on this New Year's Eve day. It's kind of Sunday in between Christmas and New Year's. We typically try to give at least something, some kind of a, a, a reset, a recalibration, just something simple. I know that, um, that you know, our, our capacities are probably lowered at this point of just a lot of food and a lot of like um, sitting around, a lot of dealing with family. And so we're just kind of tired. And so um, you know, we sing and we take communion together and hopefully hear some encouragement uh, from the word. And so this year, I want to go to Paul's second letter to Timothy for this kind of, uh, this opportunity to kind of recalibrate and reset as we go into a new year. And, and what's going on here is that Paul is, is writing this from prison. And not only is he writing it from prison, but he knows actually that he's likely near his death. This is his last letter that he writes and it makes sense then, being his last letter, that he would write um, this, this most personal letter to his son in the faith, Timothy. Timothy, who is probably in Ephesus serving the church there, receives this letter. And, and Paul wants to write to encourage him. He, he wants Timothy to come see him, but he doesn't know if that's going to happen. And so he wants to encourage Timothy with everything that, that Timothy is going through and trying to lead the church through a really um, painful period. It's a really challenging time where a lot of false teachers are coming in and trying to lead the church astray, that they are attacking Paul and attacking the true gospel, and he wants to encourage him. And in this first section, we're just going to zero in on one little passage, but in this first section, Paul is reminding Timothy of his calling in Christ Jesus. He's affirming this calling. He's telling him, hey, remember why you exist. Remember your calling. 
talks about his faith of his grandmother and his mother that was passed to him, how God called him, and now he's rooting him and firming him up. Before he gives him like, uh, instructions on how to deal with these challenges he's facing, he first reminds him of his calling. And so that's what I want to do this morning, is from this, uh, from this little passage, is to remind us of our calling. Whatever challenges may come this year, whatever obstacles that we need to be reminded and rooted into this calling that we have in Christ Jesus. To remember that we are committed to something bigger and it's worth it. I don't know about you, but I've had the privilege of having some really great mentors in my life. And those mentors, they, they tend to bring clarity to situations. The best mentors ask questions and point out things that just make things a little clearer. We start to, all of a sudden, we might be like chaotic in our thinking and trying to figure out like, well, what am I supposed to do here? And why is this happening? And what's going on over here? The best mentors come alongside of us and can, in just one question or one thought, all of a sudden make so many of those other things fade away and we're able to see more clearly. That is a big part of what Paul is doing for Timothy here. As I mentioned, there have been lots of challenges to the gospel. A lot of people challenging Paul and his authority and discrediting him. And Timothy needs clarity. And before Paul even gets to the clarity of the gospel, Paul reminds Timothy that this fight is worth it. So let's look at what he says to him in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3-7. through 7. He says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. What I want to pull out of here is that Paul is reminding Timothy, and through this letter to Timothy reminding us that you are called to a person and to a way and to a work. You are called to a person, a way, and a work. You're called to a person. Paul says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. He wants to remind Timothy that you exist to please the one who enlisted you, just like a soldier. Your focus is to be single. Don't, don't get entangled in civilian pursuits. And I don't know about you, but it's very easy to get entangled in civilian and worldly pursuits. But Paul wants to remind Timothy that, no, you need to add some clarity to your life and remember who do you exist to please. You are called to follow Jesus. I was talking with a friend recently who served in the military. I've talked with several people from the military, and they've said similar things. They said one of the great things about the military is that you don't have to think too much. Like you just kind of, you get up, you do what you're told to do, and you do it. And in fact, for a lot of people adjusting out of the military, as I've talked to them and walked with them as they adjust out of it, some of that is challenging. If you don't have someone telling you when to get up and where to go and what you're supposed to do next. And so there's a lot of confusion that can come in that, a lot of feeling overwhelmed by all of that. Now, obviously, there are major downsides to that as on a human level because people are broken, right? Systems are broken. 
That if we just gave ourselves over to just following a person and said, well, I'm just going to do, it's just easier. I'm just going to do whatever this person tells me to do. That would not be a good idea with a human. But it's not the case with God. With God, we are able to do that. With God, our full existence is in order to please him. And that is good. And it's good because what is, what is pleasing to God is also what is for our joy and for our good. Because he is good, and he made us, and he knows you, and he designed you, and he is sovereign, and he is a good father who gives good gifts. He fully understands your situation, your personality, your calling, and he wants this great reward for you and wants to give this to you. It's something we could never do as humans. Like I think about how much I love my kids and how much I want for them to experience and how much I want for them in their lives. But the reality is, is no matter how much I love them and how much I want good things for them, they're never going to find it by just doing whatever I say to do. I mean, I wish they would try it once, but I won't. They're not going to find it, right? But with God, you can. And that's really clarifying. It's much like a soldier, we actually, as Christians, are able to get up and to say, Lord, what do you want? knowing that whatever he asks of us is good. Whatever would please him is good. It's clarifying to ask the question, who do I exist to please? Who's the most important one? Think of the last time you were in a a group of two or more and you had to decide where to go out to eat. How easy is that? It's not very easy, right? Like you're a group of people and say like, hey, where, where do you want to eat? What's the answer always? I don't care. Wherever. Right? And then you suggest something. And they say, not there. I don't feel like that. And then you just keep going on and on and on with that. It's very difficult. It's very challenging. Now, let me ask you this. If you're in a group of people and you have to decide where to eat, does that change when you realize, when I tell you that, okay, in that group of people, you're actually celebrating one of your friend's birthdays? Well, now it gets simpler, right? Well, now it's just, well, where do they want to go eat? Because that's what matters most. It's very clarifying when you realize when you're in a group of people, when you're in a situation like, well, whose, whose desires, whose interests matter most? That's very clarifying. All of a sudden, it doesn't really matter much if you feel like tacos. Like, if they want cheeseburgers, then you're going to go get cheeseburgers. And if my life belongs to Jesus, if I exist to worship him, then what he desires and what he calls me to in any given moment is what matters most. And it brings a lot of clarity to situations. How do I parent in this moment? Well, who do I exist to please? How do I serve this church? How do I determine what I'm going to preach? Well, who do I exist to please? Should I take this promotion or or move to this place? Well, who do I exist to please? If I exist to please man, whether it's others or myself, then things get muddy. If my biggest desire in parenting is that my kids would obey me, then things get muddy. If my biggest demand is that I am respected, then things get really muddy. But if my desire is to please the one who said, come, follow me, then it's actually really clarifying. The reality is there's so many distractions, so many pursuits that we can get entangled with on any given 
daily basis, so many responsibilities that we have, many of which are given to us by God, which we'll talk about later here. But, but the reality is that whatever is going on in your life, starting your day with that clarifying question of who do I exist to please today is clarifying. And if you want to live a life that is pleasing to God, then first follow Jesus. Before you worry about what you're going to do or how you're going to do it, or where you're going to go, first concern yourself with who are you following? Who are you considering? This is what Jesus says in Luke 9 when he talks about following him. He says, says, as they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. There's no shortage of things that can draw us and entangle us. And the enemy can say, like, well, but this seems good. Like, this is a good pursuit. And when we get caught up in all of those other things, then we are no longer seeking to please the one who enlisted us, the one who called us, the one who redeemed us. So let there be some clarity by first considering who you exist for. And think about that this year. What would it look like if every day this year you started with that question? It would be possible that we, you'd receive this calling and not, don't let politics distract you or entangle you. Don't let hobbies distract you or entangle you. Don't let other people's expectations distract you or entangle you. Don't let social media and the pressure that that produces distract you or entangle you. Let your single-minded focus be to please the one who said, come and follow me. You're called to a person. You're also called to a way. And that is also clarifying. What he says, he says, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So first he says, he compares Timothy to a soldier, and now he compares him to an athlete. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And what does this mean? Does this mean like, okay, so Christianity, all right, I thought we always say Christianity is not a list of, of rules. But here's the thing. Jesus sets out the way of the kingdom. And he says, look, if you, if you belong to the kingdom, then you'll live as citizens of the kingdom. That is a way. And he sets this out. He talks to the disciples all the time about the way the, the kingdom differs from the world. He talks about the authority and how they would um, respond in authority, that they would become the least, that they wouldn't lord their authority over others like the Gentiles do. He says things like, they will know you're my disciples by how you love one another. If you want to save your life, then you'll lose it. He tells, he tells them to love their enemies, and to pray for those who persecute them, to turn the other cheek, to forgive as they have been forgiven. He lays this out, and it's often um, commonly referred to as the law of Christ, but we talk more about it as the way of Christ. And that's because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So that is clarifying. So as you're following this person, the person of Jesus, and you're following him, 
and you seek to please him, then you realize that as he goes, as you follow him, then you also go in the way in which he went. And that that way is characterized by all these things that he taught it, taught. And it's clarifying. I'm going to reveal something shocking about my past. I hated running track. I know you look at me and you think, wow, track star. That's probably what you're thinking. Um, shockingly, no. I was uh, not fast. And so I hated, I hated running track. I hated running on track. P.E., the day of running the mile was like the worst day. All right? Just so you know, like, do, anybody, do they still do the presidential fitness? And so like, you have to run the mile, the mile is one of the things. And you had to run it under a certain time. And I still remember our P.E. teacher in the eighth grade saying, you have to run it under this certain time. If you don't, then you're going to have to run it again. Well, guess what? I ran so hard, and I did not make the time. And afterwards, the PE teacher chastised the people who didn't make it. Like, said, you're going to have to run it again. Come in and see me for a time. You're going to come in in the morning and run it again. And as we're walking out the field, he comes up to me, and he goes, Jay, I know you did your best. You don't have to run it again. <laughs> and I've never been so humiliated and so relieved all at once. <laughs> it was so great. But the reality is running around a, tra- around a track stinks. And anybody that runs distances hates running on a track. I've never met a, a person who runs like cross country who's like, you know what I, what I really love is I love running around a track 20 times. Like nobody likes that. And I think one of the reasons is it's so hard to convince ourselves that it's worth it, that it makes sense. Like why would you run across? Like why not as you're running on the backstretch, if you've ever had the thought of, listen, if that's the finish line over there, what in the world am I going all the way around here for? Like, why don't I just cut right across the field? And imagine if someone did that in a, in a, in a race. And as they're walking along, they're like, well, I'm just going to cut across here. And if they did and they crossed the finish line, would they win? No, of course they wouldn't win. See, Paul wants to remind Timothy that the way of Jesus matters. It's not just about accomplishing these certain things, about like getting across the finish line or praying a prayer or making the right moral stances. Like Jesus says, like, I am the way, follow me. He doesn't say, believe the things that I believe. He doesn't say, do these things and, 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 and like take these stands and make sure you declare all these things. He says, follow me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that's clarifying that the way matters. It's critical because there'll be many times that the way of Jesus will feel foolish to us. And in the eyes of the world, they will be foolish. And we don't like to look foolish. We then often take matters into our own hands and we say, well, but I know what Jesus is really trying to accomplish here, and so therefore I'm going to go about it in this way because this will be more effective. But look at Paul. This is the criticism of Paul. One of the ways that they're discrediting Paul at this time is he's in prison. If he was favored by God, why would he be in prison? How silly is that? He looks foolish. And we are always looking to avoid foolishness. We're always looking for some kind of shortcut across the field and say, like, look, this, this way seems like not like the smartest idea, Jesus. Like, if we just cut right across here, that seems like it would make so much more stance. That would make so much more sense. It would make so much more sense to take a stance on some of these other issues and, and to plow ahead. And that's one of the reasons why we like social media posts 
where someone from our camp destroys someone from another camp. We love it. We like posts and we like things that put other people in their place, that make us look right, that make us look strong, that make us look wise to the world. And those are all shortcuts across a field because we're like, this way seems, seems roundabout, seems not very effective. But guess what? It's not the way of Jesus, and it doesn't count. I'm going to use a difficult example here, because why not? But imagine that we could just eradicate abortion. Just no more abortions. How wonderful would that be? But imagine that in order to do it, we had to do it in a way that was not the way of Jesus. We would have to do it through intimidation, through worldly power, and through shame. Would God be pleased? I think one of the major problems in the church today is that way too many people would say, well, yeah. And that's no different than the athlete saying, well, this is dumb. If I just cut across the track here, I'm going to win. No, you won't, because that's not the way. It's not the way the race has been set up. There's a harsh reality that God doesn't care what your stance is about abortion if your stance is opposed to the way of Jesus. He doesn't care what your stance is on marriage if your stance is opposed to the way of Jesus. He's not impressed with your understanding of truth if it is not in the way of Jesus. If you don't believe me, look at how Jesus responds to Peter in the garden when Jesus is arrested. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place. For all, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Peter's rebuked. Why? Because Jesus is saying, do you, do you think I need you to take matters into your own hands? Do you think for one second that I am not in control in this moment? Like, I mean, think about how much more of an urgent situation could you possibly get than Jesus being betrayed and arrested and taken by soldiers? Like, this is it. This is the moment. And I, I, I imagine Peter and some of the other disciples are like, finally, like, I get a chance to give Jesus something, to protect him. And Jesus looks at him and says, you're, you're going to protect me? Like, don't you realize that if I wanted, I could call on my father and legions of angels would come here to protect me? saying this is the way put away your sword i love that i mean it's funny he's like he, he, like looking at peter peter with his little sword and yeah he cut off an ear what do you think legions of angels could do that's how silly our attempts to take matters into our own hands looks to the kingdom of heaven to try to fight culture wars in worldly ways to think we're going to do something for god in this and don't we realize that the holy spirit is sitting there going like we could take care of this right now. Like God could just say, this is gone. And it would be gone. He doesn't need us 
to accomplish things for him. He's called us to go about life as citizens of a kingdom so that others may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Where are you tempted to compete according to your own rules in a way that makes sense to you? In a way where you say like, oh, I know Jesus says this, but that just doesn't make sense. That just doesn't sit well with me. And so I'm going to go about it in my own way. And I think God will be pleased because he'll see at the end of the day, I accomplished way more than Jesus would have. Maybe don't. Maybe take a step back at that point and say, ah, if Jesus is calling me in this way, then maybe that is the best way. And Paul wants to remind Timothy of that. Don't give up on the way of Jesus. As Paul has submitted himself and as as he's been imprisoned, as he has suffered for the sake of Christ, he's telling Timothy, this is the way. Don't take a shortcut across the field. There is no shortcut. And by the way, if you want a great section of scripture to tell you what that way is like, look at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. We preached a whole series on that. So daily remind yourself that you exist to please the one who has enlisted you and also to follow him in the way that you are called to a way because he is a way. And finally, you're called to a work. Paul says, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. He's giving him a daily reminder, a reminder to, to, that the call to follow Jesus is worthy of our hard work. I'm not sure if you know this, but farming is hard work. A lot of times, like, some of you are like, wait, it is? Don't you just get to feed baby calves and like, play on tractors? Yeah, pretty much. But there are some hard things to it. Um, this, is the, some, this is some of the stuff. You're wondering why, if you ever wonder why my farming friends don't like me very much, this is why, because I say things like this. But the reality is, like, my mom grew up on a dairy farm, and so I used to hear all the time stories about that. My father-in-law grew up on a dairy farm, um, like, all kinds of stories. Like, it's hard work. And if you want to succeed at farming, you have to work hard. But the idea is all that hard work is worth it because of the crops that you get, because of the payoff. And Paul compares ministry to farming because he's telling him it's, it's hard, but it's worth it. The way of Jesus, if you're going to follow Jesus, this way is hard, but it's worth it. And many of you have experienced this, how hard ministry can be, how hard at times following Jesus is. It can be emotionally draining, physically exhausting, and mentally taxing. And our flesh does not like that. We want easy. We want a lot of things, but not everything is, everything is worth the hard work to us to get it. Right? And so we say, we declare we want all kinds of things. And we often do this in our faith. That we, yeah, no, I, I want these things, God, but we don't want to walk the road to get it. It would be like someone saying, like, I want to be a farmer, you know, because I want to be a farmer when I get to like go and sell all the crops and make the money off of the crops, or I get to eat all the food. And you'd say, well, but there's hard work that that takes. Like, well, no, no, I don't want to do that. I just want to reap the harvest. Well, it doesn't work that way. And we have a great illustration of this today on New Year's Eve. This is what New Year's resolutions are all about. 
This is why I don't, I don't do New Year's resolutions because I realized a long time ago that they were just fantasy in my world, right? Like most people, New Year's resolutions are things that we want to want, but they're not worth the hard work of getting it. So they're things that we declare like, oh, this is what I want my life to look like. And then three days into it, we're like, meh, never mind, not worth it. They're just things that we say, if they're, essentially what we're saying is, if there was an easy way to get this thing, then I would want it. I would totally want it. That's why we have so many gym memberships. People who go to the gym year-round hate January. Amen? Do I get an amen from that? That makes it sound like I go to the gym year-round. I do not, obviously. I'm one of the people you hate, and so that's fine. All of a sudden in January, you can't get into any of the machines, you can't do anything because there's all these people who are like, no, this is the year. And then two minutes on the rowing machine, you're like, oh, wait, this is hard. I don't feel so good. I'm out. Listen, this is what we do all the time. Commitments to eat healthy sound good in theory, and then you actually have to choose the salad over the cheeseburger, and it all goes out the window. These are all the things that we do. We, we declare, like, this is what I'm going to be like, and then like, oh, it's too hard. And unfortunately, the same goes for our faith, and I hear it all the time. We want to be closer to God. We want that in theory. We want to experience what God has for us, but we want it to be easy. Like, here's probably the number one thing I get, like the number one category I get asked is something along this line of, what's the easiest way to follow Jesus? And no one's actually ever said those words to me. But it's inherent in the conversations that follow. And remember, we're in a safe place here. We have all struggled with these things. This is a battle that all of us face. But just consider if you've maybe said some of these things. You say, I, I want community. I want to be connected to people. I want to know people and be known. Okay. Well, this is how you go about getting it. Uh, I don't want it that badly. I mean, I have to talk to people that are not like me, and it could be awkward. Or somebody says, I, I want to know the Bible better. I want to understand it. Great, okay. This is how that works. Uh, don't you have like a Cliff's Notes version I can read? Just another, like some kind of book or commentary I can read that'll just tell me all the things I need to know? Or I want to abide in Jesus. I want to be connected and follow him. Okay, well then follow him. Well, do I have to follow all of it? And the reality is if we're just honest and we take a step back and we just take a deep breath and realize that no one is looking at me right now. Well, you're all looking at me right now. That's fine. But you're not looking at each other, not judging each other. The spirit is not a spirit of shame, but just wanting to illuminate some of these things. The reality is that we work so hard for so many things in our lives. It's one of the things I love about the upper Midwest is that there's such a value on hard work. Well, what are we willing to work hard for? We work hard for financial gain, sometimes the accolades and the praises of men, sometimes for our hobbies, for our families. We're willing to pour out all kinds of time and money and energy and discomfort to get those things. 
know, an example of that is, uh, it's consistent. I hear this when, when we talk about just spending time with God. Like, you want to grow closer to God? Just start small and start spending time with him. Well, I just don't, I just don't have time. I'm so busy. Like, I want to, but I'm, I'm so busy. Well, forget about, you know, charting your whole day about, like, you know, how much time are you, like, scrolling on social media or doing other things. Like, forget about all that. But often what I'll just say is, well, just get up 15 minutes earlier. And you know what's interesting in, in 30 years of, of ministry? I don't think I've ever had anybody say, oh, that's easy. Yeah, I'll just get up 15 minutes earlier. I don't know if I've ever had that. I've always had some form of like, oh, I already get up so early. I just can't. Like, I, get up, I have to get up at 4 a.m. to go to work. Like, you want me to get up at 3.45? And I'm like, well, I don't want you to get Like, no, I'm not going to be up at 3.45. So no, I don't care. But like, you could do that. And I always find it interesting when somebody says, like, well, no, I can't possibly do that. And I, I, let me ask you this. If, if your employer said to you tomorrow and said, hey, I need volunteers to show up 15 minutes early to work. And if you show up 15 minutes early to work, you're going to get paid time and a half the whole day. Anybody going to say, I'm already getting up so early? 15 minutes? I mean, some of you might, but like most of you are going like, well, no, obviously I'm getting up 15 minutes early. If he said an hour, if she, he or she said an hour early and you get time and a half or you get double time for the whole day, you're going in an hour early. That's just a reality check. It's not a guilt trip. It's not like a, you know, I'm not saying like, well, if you, you know, if you care that much about it, then how much more should you care about Jesus? I'm just saying, hey, just look at the reality that we often move heaven and earth to fit in all kinds of things in our life, whether it's youth sporting events or hunting trips or overtime. So let's not pretend that the reason that we're not involved the way that we want to be involved in God's kingdom and in his church family is really because of time. Let's dig a little deeper because the Spirit wants to dig a little deeper and show you with kindness and gentleness, like, hey, it's actually this over here. And let me help you cultivate this desire. Because what you have to determine ultimately is, is the kingdom worth it? And Paul wants Timothy to see that. And, and if it is, then listen to Jesus when he says, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. It's just a reality. There aren't any shortcuts. If you want community, it's going to mean a lot of time spent with people who are different from you a lot of awkward conversations, a lot of slow, like seemingly slow times. If you want to know the Bible better, if you want to understand God's word better, then it's going to take a lot of time just reading and rereading and praying and asking questions and throwing up your hands and being like, I don't know what that means. And it's going to take all of that and time. If you want your prayer life to be better, it just takes time to pray pray again and then wonder God are you actually listening to me and then you see him move and then that's really exciting and then you have more times where you're just wondering are you even are you even there do I even mean any of this like that's the way and then it's filled in following the way of Jesus where it means returning good for evil it means praying for those who would seek to destroy you or seek to criticize you. It means finding your identity and your worth in, in Jesus and, and saying, okay, I want, I want to find my identity in Christ. I want to be rock solid so that storms of life 
um, you know, won't shake me or rattle me. And then we get upset with God whenever he gives us any way to test that or to grow that. Remember, we've said that a bunch. Is like usually the number one thing people pray for is patience. And then we get mad at God every time he gives us a way to grow in patience. It's just the reality of who we are. And if we can just take a step back, take a deep breath and say, okay, God, I do want this. It is worth it. Then we'll find that way that leads to life. But also remember that Jesus, same one that said the, the narrow, the road is, is hard. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So on that hard road, I, how, do, how does Jesus say it's both hard and easy? Well, I'm not going to unpack that completely. We've done that a lot. But I, by way of reminder, just simply say this. It's because what Jesus calls you to is not based on your performance. It's just based on your faith in his performance. That's what makes it easy. And it is the way of life to abundant life and joy and peace. And so the reward is more than worth it. It's interesting when, when the disciples say to Jesus, look, we've given up everything to follow you. What are we going to get? And he's like, you really haven't given up anything. You're not going to get back 10 times or 100 times. Saying it's so worth it. That's what makes it easy and light is that the one we're following loved us and gave himself up for us. He has shown us the way. He's done everything and more than that he's asking of us. And what he's measuring is not your performance or how well you understand the Bible or how well you or how successfully you shared the gospel or how perfectly you went about your day. He doesn't measure about those things. What he's measuring is your faith. You say, Jesus, you're worth it. And so it is hard, it is messy, and yet when you are abiding in Christ, it is the most peaceful, joyful, restful path that there is. And Paul wants to remind Timothy that it is going to be hard, but you'll reap what you sow. If you invest in worldly things, then you've already received your reward. But if you invest in the kingdom, then all these things will be added unto you. So those are the reminders. Who do you exist to please? How has he called you to run this race? And do you believe that the hard work is worth it? Paul wants to encourage Timothy that as he goes through these trials and he gets tired and he wonders if it's worth it that, that he exists for Jesus. So follow him and work hard because it is worth it. And we know that he's encouraging this because at the end of this letter, Paul writes this, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's Paul's encouragement to his son in the faith. It's his encouragement to us. I would encourage you, if you want to be reminded of these things daily, take this verse, take this passage, 
2 Timothy 3, or, you know, 4 through 6, 3 through 7, write it on a note card. Put it on your mirror, in your bathroom, put it on your visor, in your car. Put it places that will remind you daily that you are called to the person of Jesus Christ. You are called to follow him as the way, the truth, and the life. And it will be hard work, but it is worth it. And then see what happens over the course of this year. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have called us. We thank you that you have redeemed us and that you have made us new and that you've given us new life and that it is not by anything that we have done by what, by, but, but, what, but receiving what you have done for us. Father, you are good and in Jesus we have the way, the truth, and the life. We have our righteousness God, remind us every day that we are called and that this calling is worthy. It is so worth it. The kingdom is a treasure hidden in a field. And Lord, remind us that it is worth us giving up everything to lay hold of it. And the way we lay hold of that is by following you, Lord Jesus. Please remind us of this daily. Help us to remind one another of this daily that we may lay hold of all that you have for us. In Jesus' name.